We've been considering these last few weeks what I've called uh, four incredible gifts for Christmas. And these are all gifts that no one on earth can match, so you will not find these under the Christmas tree. You cannot match these on earth because these are all gifts from God. These are all God's gifts to mankind. God gives, uh, God gives the best gifts ever. Would you agree with that? Uh, you cannot top God in the gift giving department. So far we've seen the incredible gift of God's love. And when we thought about that and we considered God's love as an incredible gift, we heard it very clearly in 1 John 4, 9, where it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And then we considered last Sunday the incredible gift of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is an incredible gift for which we ought to be continually grateful, daily grateful. And we see that described so well in the passage we looked at last week, Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Praise God, right? Now, there's a third gift from God, and we're reminded of it at Christmas time, and if you're a follower of Christ, you're reminded of this gift often, throughout the year, I trust, and especially when you're reading God's Word, you see this gift, and you see reminders of it throughout God's Word. It's the incredible gift spoken of in the passage before us this morning in Romans chapter 5. Are you there with me? Romans chapter 5, look at verses 8 through 10. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, Shall we be saved by his life? The incredible gift we're here to examine together today, you heard it twice. It is the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation. Our passage points to the incredible love of God for sinners when it starts out saying, but God shows his love for us this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it points to that first gift that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the love of God for sinners, saying that Christ died for us. And then it goes on to tell us that since all who believe in Christ have been justified, if you have faith in Christ, you have been justified by Christ's shed blood 
And if that's true, and it is of you, if you're a follower of Christ, how much more shall we be, it says, saved by him from the wrath of God? First, I want you to note how it is those who believe in Christ are saved by him. How are those who have faith in Christ saved by him? Verse 10 says that believers in Christ were reconciled to God by the death of Christ. You have life in Christ. If you're God's child, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have life because Jesus died. You have life eternal because of the death of Christ for you on the cross. And we are reconciled to God by the death of Christ, and much more now that we are reconciled, Shall we be saved by his life? The simple and powerful truth of this passage makes clear that the Lord Jesus Christ rescues sinners from sin. The Lord Jesus Christ rescues sinners from sin and sin's consequences, the punishment that you deserve and I deserve for our sins. This also makes very clear that salvation from sin can be found nowhere else and in no one else than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the revealing truth that we hear in a passage like Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 that says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We are only saved through Christ. That's the incredible gift of salvation. And it is a gift. That's why we're calling it a gift, because it is a gift. And we need to remember that salvation is a gift from God. Verse 10 in our passage here in Romans 5 points to that fact. Look at verse 10 again. When it reveals our attitude, think about it. Before Christ saves us, giving us this gift of salvation... Here's what our attitude and our conduct as sinners toward him was. We were his enemies. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, and, and the if isn't like a question, okay? <laughs> the if is more like a statement. We were. We were his enemies. For if while we were his enemy, were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's the incredible nature of the gift of salvation from sin. You see, God sent His Son to die that we might be made right with God. You see, there's no way for you to be right with God apart from the sacrifice of Christ for you in your sins. Because Jesus rose from the dead, and on the third day He conquered His sin and death and hell and the grave. And He conquered also an eternity in hell that we deserve for our sins. Because our sins are an affront to a holy and righteous God. And his wrath about our sins and over our sins is completely just. And so the only way to be saved from the punishment that we deserve was for God to step in. And God to appear on the scene and say, I'm sending my son. The Lord Jesus Christ came to be the sacrifice for our sins, the only acceptable sacrifice there could possibly be. And this is all God's doing. It's a gift. It is all God's doing. Salvation is completely a work of God. Jonah 2.9 
says that salvation belongs to the Lord. That's a good reminder. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's all a work of God's grace. And that's why Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. You know what you bring to this? Not works. <laughs> you bring faith. You bring faith and you are saved by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that what he did accomplished everything you needed to save you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Just, we, just in case we didn't understand, it is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. When we come to this thought and this teaching, we can see this incredible nature of the gift of salvation in what believers are saved from. And it helps for, helps for us to think about it this way. What is it that we are saved from? And I have four ideas here about the things that we are saved from. The first thing is this. What is it believers in Christ are saved from? First of all, there's the just wrath of God, which we've noted, right? The just wrath of God against sin that believers in Christ are saved from by God's grace. It says Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, our sinfulness is, is like a darkness on the truth and it saturates and, and blots out the truth of God in this, in this world in which there's a lack of truth. God's truth must be seen and shared, right? And that's why God, as God's people, we're called to share the truth, to go and tell the truth of the gospel. Because where there's sin, there's darkness. And where there is darkness, the gospel is, is choked in, out in the lives of unbelievers. And yet believers are to live out the light of truth and the light of the gospel. And we are saved from the just wrath of God in salvation. We are saved from this by Christ. And, and we no longer, as God's children, are, are putting a, a dark and, and, and a black curtain on the truth. We now throw the, the darkness aside and we throw the curtain open to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with the sinners around us who, whom we were one of before Christ. So first of all, there's the just wrath of God. Because we sin, because we have sinned against and, and uh, put a, a black mark on the name of God and on the truth of the gospel, we deserve his wrath. It is a just wrath that God has uh, towards sinners. But he answers that wrath, doesn't he? He saves sinners by the death of his son. He sends the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is it believers are saved from? From the just wrath of God against sin. Secondly, there's also the natural state of your mind and flesh without Christ, that through faith in Christ, believers are saved from. I mean, through faith in Christ, you're saved from the natural state of your mind, the natural state of your flesh, that constantly is saying, me, me, me. <laughs> How can I please myself? How can I get what's good for me? And that is also in opposition to the truth of God's word. For the mind, says Romans 8, verses 7 and 8, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Remember, we're enemies, right? Before God. Before, before God swoops in and sends his son to save us from our sins and we put our faith in him. Before that, we're his enemies. And it's because of this 
Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. And before Christ, we can't be anything but hostile to God because the mind is completely set on the flesh. Because we know we, we don't have the mind of Christ. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, there's no pleasing God apart from faith in Christ. Anything that we try to do, even if people around us in our culture say, oh, that was a good thing you did. You know, to mankind, you know, we can do good things that look good in our culture. But to a, to a sinless God, if we don't put our faith and trust in Lord Jesus Christ, who is the sole sacrifice for our sins, even our good works are like filthy rags, says God's word. Why? Because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So what is it we're saved from when we put our faith in Christ? We're saved from the natural state of mind and flesh without Christ. Thirdly, there's the fear of death that sin brings. The fear of death brings uh, is, is brought on because of sin, and we are saved from that fear of death through faith in Christ says Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Guess what our sin in our lives brings to the surface it brings brings fear of death and we know we're going to die and some of us you know before christ we say well you know i don't i don't believe in an afterlife you know i don't believe there's a god i don't believe there's a heaven i don't believe there's a hell that's convenient right why why do we say that because we don't want there to be punishment and and we know there's something that comes as a result of our sin and we know and there's that that guilt and shame that fear of death that we are saved from through faith in Christ. There's also, fourthly, there's salvation from bondage to the sinful habits of life without Christ. You see, without Christ, we are bound to our sin nature to just think and do sinful things. Salvation from bondage to sinful habits of life without Christ. Believers have in Christ been, been freed from the bondage of sin. Freed by the power of Christ to overcome with His strength at work in them the sinful deeds of the flesh, the sinful habits. That's the wonderful news of Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness get that training us <laughs> to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, saved from the just wrath of God. Saved from your old sin nature. Saved from the fear of death which sin brings. And salvation from bondage to sinful habits 
with the power of Christ at work in you. That is what you are saved from through faith in Christ. And, and we ought to be grateful to God for this incredible gift, this incredible gift of salvation. Secondly, now I want you to note how believers in Christ are saved from this, these uh, terrible consequences for sin. Sin is a terrible thing and is an affront to a holy and righteous God, and there are consequences for sin. But I want you to note how believers in Christ are saved from those terrible consequences for sin. It is only through Christ which we've noted, and that's what our passage in Romans 5 speaks of, saying that Christ died for us. Verse 8, look at it. Christ died for us. And that those who believe are, verse 9, saved by him from the wrath of God. And verse 10 says, and we're reconciled to God by the death of his son and shall be saved by his life. So how are believers in Christ saved from the terrible consequences of their sin? Again, only through Christ. We need to say that to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves. And when we share the gospel, people need to hear that. It's only through faith in Christ. You cannot be a good enough person for God to save you. You couldn't be because, and that's why he said, God sent his son. And so when we come to the gospel and as believers, we need to constantly remind ourselves of this because at times we tend to become performance people, right? We think if we perform, God blesses, you know. No. Yes, God calls us to obedience, but that does not earn his grace. That does not earn salvation. It is only through Christ. That's how believers in Christ are saved from the consequences for their sins. It is all His work and none of mine. And it is for this reason that God the Father exalts God the Son. You see, God isn't exalting us because we're righteous people. No, He exalts the Son because the Son is righteous. And, and we have the righteousness of Christ because He is righteous. Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11 speaks of the exaltation of Christ by God the Father saying, therefore God has highly exalted Him. And He deserves to be highly exalted. Has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God gets glory when Jesus Christ is glorified. Salvation from sin and sin's punishment is yours through faith in Christ alone. And all of this because the Son willingly became the sacrifice for your sins. And because he did, God exalts the Son and says, look to my Son. Exalt his name. Every knee one day will, will bow before my Son. Thirdly, the salvation from your sins is not the end of God's work on your behalf. It's the beginning. Salvation is not the end, it's the beginning. Because once you're saved from the punishment for your sins, you are now alive in Christ to truly live. You are now alive in Christ with Christ living in you. That's a wonderful truth of Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, when it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
You see, it's a, it's, it's almost like a symbolic thing here. We are, we think of death, and we know that humanly speaking, unless the Lord returns and calls us home, you know, raptures us home first, we, we're going to deal with death as humans. But in Christ, we have eternal life. In Christ, we're, we've already begun our eternal life, lives, right? We're, we've already begun our eternal kind of living. And because once you're saved from the punishment for your sins, you're alive in Christ because Christ is living in you. And the death He died, you, you die His death because He died it. He took the punishment for your sins so that you don't have to die the death He died. And so we are buried with Him. We're with Christ. It's like He took our place. And because He did, we live. We were buried, therefore, with Him by the by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of, of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have a life now. We have a purpose. We have new life to live because we're saved from the punishment for our sins. So if you've placed your faith in Christ, then you're saved from your sins, yes, but you are also given new life in Christ. And Romans 6, 8 indicates that those who have faith in Christ also live with Christ. It's an incredible gift, salvation, yes? Because He lives, all who believe in Him live. Believers are saved from sin and death and are given new life in Christ. And that's ours to rejoice in with Christ living in us. Fourthly, I want you to note for what purpose, for what purpose God gives this incredible gift of salvation. It may not be what you're thinking. For what purpose does God give this incredible gift of salvation? Believers in Christ are saved to eternally love God. Have you ever thought about that? You you ever say, I want to know my purpose in life. Well, first of all, Trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, right? Confess your sins. Admit that you need a Savior and trust Jesus Christ. And now I'll tell you your purpose. Now your purpose is to love God. That's your life purpose, okay? Now it sounds simple, right? (laughs) But those of you who have been at this for a few years know that it's not quite that simple. But it is summarized simply, isn't it? Christ, Christ died so that we might be free to love Yes, live, but love God. It's the truth we hear in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, where we hear Jesus saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And, and we're talking about why we should love God. We shouldn't have any trouble with a motive for loving God, right? After we consider the incredible gift of salvation that's ours. And those who believe in Christ have every reason to love the Lord, absolutely. We have every reason to give Him everything we have, to give Him our whole life, our energy, all of us. God has been everything to us, and we we ought to give everything to Him, our whole self, our thoughts, our speech, our conduct, our work, our families. His church, right? We have to give it all back to God in worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ as we show our love for God. This incredible gift of salvation ought to compel us as once ruined sinners, but now as saved sinners, to love God with heart and soul and mind and everything we have. 
We ought to be compelled by the mercy of God to give multiplied offerings to God with ourselves, our lives. You see, let's note also what the proof of our love for God should be because there should be some evidence of our love for God. God's word tells us to love him. And I noted it there in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But I want you to note that there ought to be some proof of that love for God. If you say you're God's child and you say you love him, what's the proof you love him? What's the evidence? It's not what we say about our love for God that's the evidence. It's not that saying you love God is wrong. That's a good thing. Being willing to say that in public (laughs) is an important thing. Because I love the Lord God. I love him with everything I have because he saved me from my sins through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's important to be able to say that, but it's far more important that you have evidence of your love for God. See, the proof of our love for God is our love for others. You realize that? That's what we hear in 1 John 4, verses 19 to 21, when it says, we love because he first loved us. And then it goes on to say, if anyone says, I love God, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's some harsh language, isn't it? But that's God's word. And it challenges us that, that there ought to be some evidence in our life of our love for God. True love for God compels true love for others. If we say, I love God, and, and if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar, it says here in verse 20 of First John 4, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, your purpose in life is to eternally love God. And the evidence that you love God is that you love one another. And you love those for whom Jesus Christ was a sacrifice for sins. You love your neighbor, right? You see, to love God in every way imaginable is, is our opportunity to show, to show our praise of God and our worship of God in our service, in the way that we minister to meet the needs of others and to share the love of God with unbelievers. To love God in every way imaginable is our purpose. Loving God with every part of you because of His incredible gift of salvation is your eternal joy and is your eternal privilege in Christ. Because you're Christ, you're freed to live. You're freed to love as God loves. And loving others is the overflow and evidence of your love for God. This Christmas... When the gifts are exchanged, make sure you give proper recognition and thanks to God for the incredible gift of salvation. It's the incredible gift of salvation that that I hear in this wonderful poem by Pastor John Piper. He writes of how God answers. He called it. He calls this God answers. There's there are questions here and there are answers. Listen to them. Is there a word to help us feel the weight 
of Adam's fall? All. How heavy will this burden weigh? Spare not on those who fell. Hell. O Lord, so great this forfeiture. Was there sufficient reason? Treason. Then whence could any traitor hope before your burning face? Grace. But surely that will cost beyond our wage. How is it priced? Christ. Entirely paid? By him? Oh, God, and is that gift for me? Free. I would receive this gift, O oh Lord. How soon should you allow it? Now. Now. Would you bow your heads with me? Have you received that precious gift of salvation? Do you realize that it's, it's free? It's by God's grace and through Christ, and it's available now. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can do so now. You can trust him now in prayer. As we pray in just a moment, you can tell God, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I accept his sacrifice for my sins. I trust the Lord. Put your trust in Christ. If you have not done that, and if you do that, I would love to, to know from you that you have trusted Christ. I'd love to help you and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Followers of Christ, are you, are you appropriately glorifying God for this incredible gift of salvation? Are you loving God with everything you have? That's your purpose. Is the evidence of your love for God obvious? Is it apparent in your love for others?